0: If you had to describe yourself to Celtic fans that maybe haven't seen you play, what type of player would
1: you, would you describe yourself as?
0: I would say I'm a hardworking player, a hardworking striker. Um, I score goals, this is what I do. And uh, yeah, I work on and off the pitch. I, I'm actually a quite strong striker. I um, love the contact. And uh, yes, I have a lot of, of um, qualities behind the defender runs. I'm very smart. Yeah, I don't wanna to say too much, yeah, so. Yes, welcome back to the Grand Old Podcast. Lots and lots to discuss on a new Friday slot. I am, of course, Hamish Carton. No games to discuss, John, and a hell of a lot's happened since we last sat down and did one of these.
1: Yeah, I thought it'd we'd, we'd be best to do a bit of an early one, give people time to listen to it before the European game next week. And it's not as if there's not a lot to talk about. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a strange one because the, the last podcast we were... Slightly down, just with the the, the performance against um, KonMarnik, and we were thinking, you know, this time next week we'll be feeling a lot better. And then the shit seemed to hit the fan uh, in many ways, so um, there's a lot to talk about. But I think as we've come through the week, there's also positives coming out of the week, so um, there's plenty to look forward to as well.
0: Yes, the good and the bad. We'll start with the latter, and we'll get and goalie gate out of the way. (laughs) Straight away Um, Before we move on to that Just quickly Lots and lots of questions in From you guys and girls on Twitter We really appreciate all of those And we will get on to them Kind of during the uh, discussion On various aspects Including ball and goalie of Mm -hmm. course Um, Obviously a a few days have passed And so this has come Mm -hmm. out Nearly a week really It was right after we recorded the podcast On Sunday I think it still takes a bit of getting used to doesn't it just the the complete absurdity of a Celtic player during a global (laughs) pandemic deciding to jet to Spain not telling the club about it Mm -hmm. or so they say and then returning back to Scotland not quarantining and playing in a competitive game a couple of days later.
1: It's a very strange story I think and you know, in the heat of the the moment, you know you're you're worried and you're anxious about it all, and you're questioning what's going on at the club, and you're questioning Lennon and Lowell and just the the hierarchy of discipline at Celtic. But I think for me, what's come out over the few days, or now that I've had a few days to process it, I think I would say that um, this is all down to Ballingoli for me because I think yeah. that it sounds like he was deliberately um, evasive about his trip to Spain. Um, you don't go to Spain and come back and don't tell anyone you work with if you don't know that it's a bad thing to do. So I think that um, he's been deliberately manipulative here and I think that when someone's doing that and and working their own interests against whatever protocol is in place from the club who did tell him not to travel outside of Glasgow, having warned him Mm -hmm. about his travel previously this summer, I think that um, it really all comes down to Bollingoli at the end of the day. And as long as no more comes out about the squad and and stuff like that over the next few days or or whatever, there's been crazy rumours flying about, but there always is. Um, I I would suggest that this is all down to Bollingoli. And as far as Celtic are concerned, they've tried to do their best to um, put the procedures in place to avoid this kind of thing happening. So you say Bolly was warned by the club earlier this summer? I hadn't heard that. Yeah, um, Lennon said that he'd been um, warned about his travel before this summer. Not sure what the details of that were, but Lennon did say that in a press conference this week. So Mm. um, whatever happened there, perhaps when he was travelling back from wherever he was to Lennox Town or, or whatever whatever he's been up to this summer. Um, but Lennon said he was specifically told not to travel outside Glasgow when the players were given two days off, and he chose to do that anyway. So I think he knew exactly what he was doing.
0: Yeah, very interesting. I'm glad to hear you uh, you know, putting across how you feel, because it, it comes into line with how I felt. When I first heard the news, I was pretty frustrated. There was the rumours going around that Lennon had given the team as, as much as... Four days off. Uh, fair enough, those were on, on social media. It turns out that it was only two. And to be honest, I think when you take all the various you know factors into account, the fact that our game was late on a Sunday against Hamilton and our next game wasn't until the same kick-off slot the following Sunday at Rugby Park, I think given the Monday and Tuesday off, uh, when you consider the club's going to be playing two three games a week up until well basically for the rest of the season. I can see the merit in that, to be honest. Uh, I probably wouldn't have given them two, maybe one, and had them in on the Tuesday, but I don't think it's as big an issue as people were making out originally when you know there was rumours going around that it was possibly three or four days that he'd given them off. My question to you is, and I'm genuinely asking this, mm-hmm. should Celtic know where ball and goalie is at all times?
1: well i think really all all the club can do is enforce or or communicate strongly that they shouldn't be travelling outside of glasgow and that they should be keeping themselves to themselves i'm not sure how strongly that was communicated Lenin's, as as i've just said lennon said they did tell them but you know you don't know how you know whether that was just in guidance that they gave over to yeah, them and th- it,
0: there's also there's also got to be a feeling that come on you players surely can't be idiots i mean it is a global pandemic mm-hmm. we shouldn't have to spoon feed you yeah. absolutely everything surely don't go to one of the worst affected countries in the world
1: yeah and I, I, would, I would say it's also like it's on the dressing room leaders as well i think the squad should perhaps know a bit better where they're teammates and stuff are uh, or what they're planning to do are or, or up to more than their bosses um, but you know if I mm. was Scott Brown for example you know I wouldn't be asking for their itinerary but I'd be just checking in with everyone and just making sure that everyone's aware of, of what they would need to do and what's um, um, expected of them and you know Lennon and, and Brown unfortunately this was too late but Lennon and Brown were part of the managers and captains meeting at the SFA on Monday um, so hopefully that's been driven into them a little bit. It was uh, Professor Jason Leach that headed that meeting and it was all the captains and all the managers of all 12 Scottish Premiership clubs on a video teleconference call. So um, hopefully it's beginning to sink in a little bit for the players. I actually said on, on Sunday's podcast, the one that was recorded, that I feel there's been complacency at all the Scottish football sites, including Celtic, on this issue. Um, but the players really need to get a grip now. And, and the ball and goalie thing, I think is hopefully going to be the peak drama of all this um, and that everyone can start to move on now and just you know buckle up a bit.
0: Yeah, I think there would be a lot of chief executives and managers at other clubs in the top flight that'd be pretty relieved that their players haven't been caught out with whatever because you're not telling me that players in the other 10 clubs have been behaving absolutely impeccably over this period. I think it's just unfortunate in many ways um, what's happened but obviously in, in terms of when I say unfortunate I mean for Celtic but obviously for, for Bolling goalie, just completely irrational behaviour just when you were talking there about the fact that perhaps some of the dressing room leaders should know where Bolling goalie was I've never played football at a, you know, a top level or certainly at a level like the Celtic players are playing at but just thinking surely surely if a player goes to Spain Someone in the dressing room knows. I mean, yeah. fair enough. Ballinggolly might not have told anyone, but I know he's he's quite close to the the French players. I think. I, I mean, are you telling me that he's not told anyone that he's away to Spain?
1: It's not even slipped into the conversation. Yeah, that's what that's what that's what's strange to me, and and we, we don't really know, so we don't. I, I don't really want to point fingers, but I think the general mm. point is that the dressing room leaders in that in that dressing room need to at least be more proactive, I think, in ensuring that everyone knows, like, don't get up to this sort of nonsense. Like, I'm not being funny, but how did Bolingoli think it wasn't going to be noticed? Like, he's going to an airport, know. you know, he's quite a recognisable footballer, he's got dyed hair, you know, his name is Bolly Bolingoli. If you're at a checking desk, the, the likelihood is that <laughs> the person checking is either going to know who that was or have an inkling that that person is a footballer and knows someone who knows who it is. He was pictured on the big airplane. There's going to be other people on the flight. It just It's, it's ridiculous to think that he would not have been spotted and, and would get, get away with it. So I'm not sure if he's just incredibly dense or he just doesn't care. Either way, I don't think it's the attitude we need at Celtic, and it's pleasing to hear that you know we're we're actively trying to get rid of him on loan and or just in the the most efficient quickest way possible that's not at a loss to the to the football club
0: yeah I've certainly heard some some stories about bollingolilia. I'm sure we all have to be honest, but uh, you know stories of him perhaps not following certain training regimes in the past and other behavior that probably makes you subscribe to the second of your theories that maybe he just doesn't care and his attitude isn't there? Because I I know footballers get a hard trap for not being the most clever of people, but surely someone realises that going to Spain during a pandemic, flying out and, and to a Scottish airport... Uh, when you're a Celtic player, you're going to be noticed, and surely it's a bad idea. I mean, that, so I subscribe more to the, the second theory that he just doesn't care, and I think the
1: fact that he's so far out of the picture at the moment has uh, you know heightened that feeling. I mean, I've been in an airport, you know, queuing for a flight when a footballer's been in the queue with me. I've been in an I've been in an airport queue with Neil Wennings behind me when I was going on holiday to Malaga fifteen mm-hmm. years ago when he was a midfielder at Celtic. And although that you're there's not like people following him around like he's the Beatles. It's also obvious that it's someone recognizable in the queue because there's just a little bit of buzz. There's like people looking but not looking. It's just like it's obvious when there's a footballer in in an environment like that. So I don't know. It's just it's, it's bizarre to me. The whole story is utterly bizarre, um, and I think it's obvious how annoyed Peter Lawler was because that statement from Celtic was just absolutely brutal. It just absolutely slaughtered him. Um, and I've never seen a, a club um, kind of throw a player under the bus like that before. I've never seen Celtic do it, and I, I don't disagree with that. You know, you could you could say it's perhaps harsh, but um, I think that the right to call him stupid in the in the statement because the actions you know speak for themselves.
0: Yeah, there, there's two aspects to this. There's the the health situation, the mm-hmm. fact that he went to a country that, as I say, has been you know really badly affected, one of the worst uh, affected countries in Europe during this whole pandemic. He went to that country, came back, he allegedly didn't tell any of his teammates I I take that at face value from Neil Lennon, he then mixed with not just Celtic players but Kilmarnock players, you've got to remember that when he's playing football he's not socially distancing, I mean I know that's absolutely stating the obvious but you can't socially distance when you're playing football and he's mixing with Kilmarnock players when fair enough he's, he's had two negative tests but we know that the incubation period can be I think up to 11 or 12 days for this so uh, just a really difficult situation there. But also, there's the sporting side of it as well. There's all the other things away from the health in terms of the, the fact he's lied to the club, that he's lied to his manager, the fact he's lied to his teammates, <laughs> and also the, the consequences that, oh, that Celtic are now yeah. going to have to suffer. We already have suffered. The fans have suffered because we all wanted to see Celtic playing in midweek. We all wanted to see them playing on Saturday. We're going to see neither. And... Putting it bluntly, volleyball Go- and goalie could have ended 10 in a row. Because <laughs> who's to say that Nicola Sturgeon doesn't come out on whenever she spoke and rather than saying this is the yellow, next time it's the red, who's to say she didn't just give, you know, you've already had your yellow at Aberdeen, here's mm-hmm. the red this time, I'm stopping football indefinitely and, but, you know, effectively the, the league's the- void? He could have caused us so much harm and for that, for me it's just
1: completely unforgivable but there was also that mix up with the Rangers friendly pre-season and, and all that nonsense you could argue that yeah. this was actually a third strike and and that is just crazy and, and I, it wouldn't have surprised me if, if the Scottish government because they've been so cautious over the summer if they had put the Scottish season on a pause for two weeks and just yeah. completely railroaded the season I think they would have been within the rights to do that um, it would have been annoying as a, as a football fan but if you're not interested in football, and you're looking at the headlines, and you're, um, you know, you're just an ordinary Joe member of the public who votes and has all sorts of opinions on different stuff. You could, you'd be, you'd be outraged. So, of course, um, that's it, it what it is. I mean, I'm getting annoyed thinking about it again. So we should probably move on, and um, because it's kind of, um, it's um, the story has been rumbling on a week, and I, I think that, I think the the games aside, the games that we're missing aside hopefully we're not going to be, you know, we're going to get retrospective punishment and everything from the SPFL now. So just, I'm hoping there's there's no more twists and turns in the story and, and that's it all behind us now.
0: Yeah, uh, I believe that the and goalie and the Aberdeen Eight are set to receive their uh, punishment from the compliance officer on Friday, which is the day we're recording. So probably by the time you're listening to this, that will have become a little bit clearer. Yeah, just, just finally, that when you're talking about the fact that the way Bollingoli behaved and the perception among other non football fans, that that's one thing I was thinking during this whole pandemic, and you think back to I've forgotten his name now, Hancock, the uh, health fella down yeah. south, and the fact he called footballers out at the start and then the Aberdeen eight up here and now Bolling. For a non-football fan, again, footballers are, you know, been painted in a bad light. And I get a lot of the stuff with Bolling is Um, completely deserved in terms of from his point of view Um, but it's just disappointing that once again footballers who are the easy targets will all be kind of branded with the the same brushes being thick and naive and um, entitled and all that kind of thing but just disappointing Right, we'll move on from balling goalie we'll we'll talk about some of the ramifications from this but before we do that a couple of questions we've got and a wee bit of humour because we need a bit of that Michael Graham says, loving hearing you both again. Thanks very much, Michael. His question for the podcast, what weird punishment should, <laughs> and wait for this, holiday get? I've not heard that yet. That's a cracker. <laughs> uh,
1: what weird punishment should he be given?
0: I've got one. Uh-huh. I think he should be forced to spend an afternoon playing bowls with Paul Fisher.
1: <laughs> I was thinking he should be made to work in the call, the Castore call centre at the moment with all this. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps a keyboardist for the Thornley Boys as well. I thought that might be quite good.
0: Oh, brilliant, the Thornley
1: Boys. Aye, he's. Um,
0: yeah, sorry, Michael says that his favourite would be loaned out to Aberdeen. <laughs> they're probably they, they're doing quite well with the old Covid aren't they so and uh, a four feet must be performed uh, what would it be so so you're going with either Thornley Boys or
1: Call Centre yeah or you could maybe host a new holiday programme on BBC Scotland or something uh, holidays with and Um, Very good, I
0: love the bowling holiday, that's (laughs) great Pat, I've not seen that anywhere, Uh, and I completely I don't know if this is a related question, when does the bowling season finish in Scotland, is this in relation to Paul Fisher and the fact he's been
1: missing in action? I think this is a Paul Fisher thing, yeah, unfortunately um, Paul just seems to be busy all the time at the moment we've been asking him on, so he is I mean we speak to him every day, so um, he is there and thereabouts but we're not sure when Paul's going to be on. He's, he's on. He's going to be on when he's on, but we thought rather than hold up pod, podcasts waiting for Paul all the time, that me and Hamish yeah. just get on with it and then Paul plugs in when he can, when he's playing bowls or not. I don't think he's even been playing bowls. He's usually found running around our Rossum at the moment um, on Strava. Aye. Uh, yeah, well, we know he listens to this and
0: he will be listening now, so if we publicly call him out in front of the the tens of people who listen to this podcast, <laughs> then I'm sure he'll... Uh, He'll force a minute coming on. You know what'll happen though? He'll be on after the we beat Rangers in yeah, yeah. mid-October yeah. or whenever it is. He'll I think he's running scared games. of
1: fifty-five. That's why he's not on the podcast.
0: <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear his view on it though, because obviously the, the group chat we're in, we've got, let's just say, um a Celtic fan who believes that Celtic may struggle to retain the league championship this season. And you've got Paul in the opposite uh, side of things who just you know, can't take Rangers seriously at all, even if they're beating us. Every or time whatever, the Rangers so.
1: sign someone, Paul goes in the group chat, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> he's been entirely serious every single time, no matter who he signed or who's playing for them. If someone gets injured, he's like, oh, I don't even know who that was. So, um, Paul's um, a Rangers cynic, shall we say?
0: Yeah. So, publicly call him out. Paul, get your ass in gear. Get back in this podcast soon because we're missing you. Right. Next question on Ball and Goalie as well. Odd Bins on a scale of Tommy Burns, a.k.a. Jesus Hero <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: through to Mo Johnson aka oh, The Jesus. Opposite, The Devil Not Jesus. where does Balling Goalie feature in Celtic Villainy so mm-hmm. you get Tommy Burns at one side of the spectrum you know, mm-hmm. Henrik Larson, Billy McNeil and then you've got Mo Johnson um,
1: right at the bottom where's Balling Goalie fitting into this? Oh, I don't know, I, 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 I think it depends I mean he could become infamous I think depending on what Rangers do over the next couple of weeks and how we come back from it you know, he could be infamous or this could be all quickly forgotten and just become part of the Scottish patter that you, you get in the drama the of Scottish football. I think he's mm. probably ranking higher than a Raphael Scheid or um, Io Berkovich at the moment. I think he's probably closer towards the Mo Johnston scale of things, though not in that ballpark. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting. You just don't know. I think, um, I think he'll be looked back on as one of our worst signings. Um, given that he didn't make any progress in the first team He always looked a bit shaky to begin with I mean, I think his first two appearances Just his um, determination to attack all costs And an exasperated Neil Lennon on the touchline Was funny enough And he doesn't seem to have pushed on from there really There was a a brief moment for him Where he was um, the, the, the popular member of the Celtic Twitterati With all those... Oh um usernames getting changed to Ball and Goal, which thankfully I never um I never took part in. Um so he did have his brief moment as a cult hero, but you'll go down as one of our worst signings ever, surely, just through the way everything panned out.
0: That's like one of those things you see in Twitter, images that preceded horrific events, and it's like Hamish Carton Bollingoli or something like that. <laughs> so uh, Yeah, it was a A strange kind of... I mean, at the time, we were all thinking it was a bit strange. I think it was after we'd just beaten Rangers at at Ibrox and everyone just Mm. got a little bit carried away. But yeah, we paid £3 for this guy from Rapid Vienna. Let's not forget when he was signed, it was as a replacement for Kieran Tierney. Now, I know we signed Greg Taylor (laughs) later on in that summer, but wow, scary stuff. And the chat is that he's heading off to League 2. Yeah, With uh, Amiens, who have just been relegated. And that would give him the chance yeah. to go up against Vacuum Bio yes. next season.
1: He's off to Toulouse after the delaying the, his own COVID drama in France with their manager, etc. Finally announced this week, midweek, um, a season long loan, it looks like. So there's no hope of a. I think they've got an option to buy. I didn't actually double check that. Um, but... Uh, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. So hopefully he goes there and. and scores ten goals or something and they pay two million quid for him or whatever it is. Um that, I think
0: his uh, I think his timing Celtic's up given that we've actually chucked his number away. He's still technically you, on you our know, books you know and we've given his number to new signing.
1: That to lose move is actually a good move. They've just been relegated from week one. They're a pretty big yeah. club in France. You know, they'll be expecting to go straight back up. So he's got a good chance if he can get a run of games, he's got a good chance to do well in, in that division.
0: Yeah. To lose, obviously, former clubs of both Julian and Edward as well. So, yes, interesting stuff there. Right, let's move on from Ball and Goalie as the person and hopefully never speak about him again in this podcast. Hopefully, he's gone by the time we, we next record. Just chat a little bit about the ramifications from it. Obviously, as I said earlier, and as everyone will be aware, we didn't play St Mirren on Wednesday evening. We also won't play Aberdeen on, on Saturday. These are games that we're going to now have to fit in. I think I read somewhere that effectively if we make it to the last eight of the Betfred Cup which is one round from where we come in and if we make it to a group stage we'll have uh, the next midweek available will be in the new year, I think it's mid-January or something like that so we're not going to play these games for a while unless they look at possibly, and this sounds crazy but going almost like Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday or something like that one week Um, which I would doubt, but you never know. Um, But more to the point, the fact that by the next time we play, we could be 11 points behind Rangers or Hibs, depending on how things go.
1: Is that a worrying scenario for you? It's slightly worrying. Um, Hibs play after us, so I think they actually play on a Sunday that weekend, so we will play before them. But the point remains, and I get your general point, is that there's a few teams doing well at the top of the table. Obviously, everyone has their eye on Rangers and I know we like to dismiss Rangers as not a threat but I think everyone should be keeping an eye on them this season. I think it's worth checking out how they're doing and and how they're getting on and they do seem to be you know coping well with the early stages of the season and playing not in front of fans. They seem to be um, pretty much dominating the teams that they've played so far apart from the the Aberdeen game. Um, So if they do open up that points camp, I I really don't think it's ideal at all, and I I think it's it's not a knockout blow by any means. But you know, if you're thinking of the Scottish Premiership season as a twelve round you know tussle, you know we're 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 losing the first round at the moment, and and that's all it is. You know, there's plenty of time left, and Celtic will will hit their stride, um, and hopefully, you know Neil Lennon and his squad can use this as a galvanising moment. And mm. kind of kick on, and we know they've done that in the past. So if we are, but kind of behind the cosh on on these points gaps, I think the the main thing it does if if both teams maintain their form is it makes the derby matches like way bigger. Um, and it makes uh-huh. it makes the first one a must win occasion. I know it is anyway, but it makes it like a really big match for Celtic, and uh, you know if we win that, then it's it's not the the gap isn't so much of a problem even if it does drag on till January. Um, but yeah that that's why I would say if both teams maintain their form and they have a gap over us then there is a little bit of psychological pressure going into these derby games especially because I haven't really turned up in the last two we we're pretty poor in the final although we won it and then we we played horribly at Celtic Park in December so we've got a lot to prove on that front but you know that's further down the line thankfully.
0: Yeah Neil Lennon's the master of creating a siege mentality, we've seen him do it in the past at Celtic and Um, you know Hibbs and even Bolton down south when they were going through troubles he uses the fact that it's almost everyone's out to get you and uses that to motivate the players and although this is technically a Celtic problem the fact Ballingol he's done it I really wouldn't be surprised if he's saying you know, this guy's put you in this trouble, um, go and find yourselves out of it. Everyone's out to get you in a way. The fact that we've got to play all these games, everyone's saying Rangers are well ahead of you. We know he's used it in the past because he did it last year at Ibrox as well when we won. Um, and obviously, the media are really drumming up this 11 point thing. It doesn't massively concern me. I think the, the season's a couple of games old. Um, We've got the games in hand, and I'm going to say something completely ridiculous. Andy Walker made a good point yesterday (laughs) because he said (laughs) and I actually was nodding in agreement which is even more ridiculous that the fact that Celtic have these games in hand may actually motivate us more because we realise that we can't afford to slip up in these games Mm -hmm. like maybe when you're levelling points like when we played against Coman I know we were a few points behind Rangers at that stage but if that was a game that we knew was one of our games in hand, it would almost be that that you know flick uh, would switch in, in Scott Brown's mind and a few of the other players, that this is a game in hand. We must absolutely go out and win. We're already trailing. We m- must not slip up again. And I just wonder if that may give us a little bit more motivation in, in these games like when we go into Ta- Tanadice on Saturday and we're at, say we are 11 points behind you know, and yeah. it's, not a, it's not a must win of course it's not at this stage of the season but it's a big big game for us mm-hmm. and I just think this Celtic team's proven over the last few years that they can handle the pressure more than Rangers and the other thing as much as Rangers may rack up the points and for the record I think they'll slip up I genuinely believe they'll slip up at Livingston on Sunday but even if they <laughs> do they could still be you know, nine points ahead of us by the time we next play. When yeah. we start then reducing that deficit later on in the season when we get these games in hand, that's going to be a worrying time to be Rangers fans when you see Celtic coming closer and closer and closer. So I think it works both ways, but it's the old thing. You'd rather have the, the points on the board than yeah. the game in hand, and, wouldn't you?
1: And you would, you would rather have the points. But if you even if you think back to last season, you know, when Celtic were ahead of Rangers, you know, a lot... Of, a lot of the chat around it was, you know, they still got the games in hand. So sometimes you count the points before they're delivered. And the mm. last season's league wasn't really over until we kind of forged ahead more. But, then, you know, they had games in hand, you know, against us for for months and months. So um, They never got to play them, did yeah, they? Yeah, they, they, they actually never got to play them. So that is the, perhaps the only issue. But um, uh, hopefully they do get played in January. Let's put it that way. Um, so... It, there's there's two sides to the coin, and you you've just the the players just have to deal with it. It's just an added thing they have to deal with. I do definitely think it adds extra spice to these opening matches to the season, though. And you know, in a way, that the, that's the excitement of the season. You know, it's a it's an entertainment business after all, and and it's up to Celtic to prove they can do it. And you know Celtic fans will be way more excited about getting a result at Tannadice than they perhaps would have been otherwise.
0: It's a, it's a massive game. It's a massive, massive game. game. So
1: I'm looking forward to it because I back Celtic to win these matches, um, and I'm looking forward to the, to the qualifier next week too. And I think I think Celtic will kick on now. It was a real that's that's been a real false start to the season between the performance against Kulmarnik, um and just the the way everything's panned out this week. It's there's undoubtedly a false start to the season, but. You know, I th- I think Celtic will will do well from from here on, and and we need them to. We really need them to.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's something that maybe not too many people have spoken about. The fact that one positive to come through this could be that Neil Lennon now has effectively a uh, nine days or something. Mm. But bet, yeah, between the the Kelly game and the Reykjavik game, and in many ways, like without, you know been too disparaging about our Icelandic opponents, I think we can probably feel <laughs> me and you in the wings and still see them off comfortably so um, so effectively he's got two two weeks almost between uh, Killy and, and Dundee United which is a half five kick off so really looking forward to that and I think we'll see a Celtic team that's chomping at the bit to, to get to grips with that. Will you record before that game, probably after that game, won't it? It'll be the following Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it'll be after. So.
1: This is this is your lot until a week on Sunday, I would suggest.
0: I'll need to get double predictions from you at the end of this then, so remind <laughs> right, okay. me okay. to do that.
1: Okay.
0: Right, will we chat a Yeti then? Yes. Our new Swiss striker, 23 years old. Reports ranging from BBC were 4.5. Most other outlets saying it's £5 million mm. pounds we've paid. West Ham Forum... Good business. I'm pretty excited
1: about this one. Yeah, I'm excited about this one too. It's one that has caught, I think, most supporters' eyes throughout the summer. Sometimes you like link with names and all this. You're kind of like, ah, whatever. But as soon as people kind of looked a little bit into his playing history and the fact he did well at Basel in Switzerland, and um, I think that this, this looks like a good one. And you know, I'm going to lay out two main reasons for this. First is that Neil Lennon has been a fan of him for a while. We actually tried to sign him last summer before he went to West Ham Mm. and and Neil Lennon, I think, was very instrumental in the negotiations to bring him here in terms of communicating with his agents and with the player to convince him that he has a big part to play here and that the the way Celtic play is a benefit to him. And I think um, another reason is, you know, when you look at the highlights of of his scoring in Switzerland, just about every goal he scored for them was with his first or second touch. Very Gary Hooper-like, looks to, you know... He's he's not the the tallest of strikers, but he's got he looks to have strength, and he looks to play between you know in in the eighteen yard box. He looks to thrive on the action inside there, and I think Neil Lennon adores that kind of striker, and I think he wishes that Lee Griffiths was around to to be that striker for Celtic. As we've discussed, he ha- hasn't really been reliable for us for a while now, and so I think it was important that we brought brought in quality. So I've got a really good feeling that both he has the profile. In terms of being someone who has a little bit of Champions League experience, has proven himself at another club, but is still young enough to improve further here. And the fact he's very much a Neil Lennon player for me. Um, And those are the two main reasons that I've got real excitement about this signing.
0: Yeah, we'll touch on a yeti a wee bit more in a minute just add this question from Ryan Smith into the discussion. He says, love that you boys are back. Thanks very much, Ryan. So what are your opinions on the desired formation this season? Spending money on a Yeti and with Eddie makes me think it'll be 3-5-2, uh, although we need another centre or half and a left wing back for that to actually work. We'll, we'll touch on that in a wee second, but a Yeti and Edward up front is a, a pretty frightening prospect, I think. I think you're right to to touch on the fact that they're very different players. The Edward is a guy who uh, will... Oh, as as much as he scores a lot of really good goals Edward, he's um, very much a creator as well, whereas it seems from the stuff I've seen of Ayeti that he's a very clinical finisher and for me the thought of these two when you consider how well Edward and Griffiths played at the start of this year uh, and if you substitute Griffiths for a Yeti, who I think time will tell, but I think probably a better more talented player, then the prospect of those two up top must be pretty frightening for the rest of the league
1: yeah and yeah, and I think that I think we need that change Back to that formation eventually And I think that it just it's up to Neil Lennon How he finds the balance in his side to do that Unfortunately I don't think Greg Taylor Is the left wing back of choice So we need to perhaps do a bit of work there As Ryan alludes to I think that there's also question marks about Where you play El Unusina 3-5-2 When you're playing two strikers um, And I think that is an issue as well That Lennon will need to figure out so the, Right
0: right wing's another big one for me. Mm. Who, who's your right wing back? Is it, is it Frimpong or Forrest? Because it's you're making two very different
1: statements here with whoever you play. I don't mind Forrest there in domestic games at all. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, I, I, although he's obviously not got the defensive chops, I would argue that Frimpong doesn't really either and we don't really use him in, yeah. as a fullback. So although, either Frimpong or Forrest, I think, are both viable options on that right side. And I think would we would go with Forrest for the majority of the time, but um Neil Lennon would have options for different games. And as you have as we've been saying all along, like the schedule is crazy this season. So it's no bad thing to think of that like, you've got Forrest and yeah, we we don't need to choose between one or the other. The fact that we've got both, I think, is fine for that formation. And the same could be perhaps said with the L situation. He'll get plenty of games this season, even in a three five two. Um so a lot of questions, I think, for Neil Lennon to ponder and, and scratch his head over him and John Kennedy and uh, Gavin Strachan.
0: See, so just touching in that, where does El Yunusi play in a three-five-two though? Yeah, that, like, can can he play
1: in a three-five-two? Well, well, the only the only thing I would think was that you would perhaps have him um, as one of the supporting players instead of Christie or or someone like that. Kind right. of, have him more roaming across the the front three positions. I think El Unisi is not an out-and-out winger, I would suggest. Anyway, he does like to cut inside, he's a dribbler, he's a creator. So it's not, you know, it's not that he doesn't fit into it. I would also suggest that El Unisi might be the, the type of player that could be a, a Sinclair-type player in in the sense of being one of the two. So if you had a Yeti in the team, you could per- perhaps have El Unisi if Edwards suspended or, yeah. or, 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 or has a knock for one game. I wouldn't mind seeing... Or left the club. Yeah, <laughs> don't say that, Hamish. <laughs> um, but I think for me it looks like to me, if we're if we're thinking about a three five two, for me it looks like to me that we have Klamala and Ayete as our goal scorers, and then we've got Edward as our star man, and then perhaps El Unisi as an Edward Sub or a Christie sub. Um and then we've got you know, the right hand side we've got Frimpong and Forrest. It's the left-hand side, as Ryan said, that does concern me a bit, and we do need to do business mm. there now. Because I don't think Balling was good enough, but he was not more attacking option than Taylor. And I just don't see Taylor as a left-wing back at all unless there's a uh, striking improvement in, in that area of his game over the next um, few weeks or months. So it's, it is a puzzle. It's a real puzzle. But I I, I don't think this, this 4-5-1 or 4-3-3 or whatever you want to call it is, is viable anymore. I just I don't think it allows us to have the... Our our best creative players on the pitch all the all the time.
0: Playing devil's advocate, did it not work? You know, the week before against Hamilton, is there a danger that we're letting the the draw away to Kelly mur- murky the waters
1: or you know muddy our views in this? No, because I I think the game against Kilmarnock is going to be more demonstra- demonstrative of how most games this season will go, and I think that mo- most teams are 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 very organised um, and I think that Hamilton kind of came out to play a little bit at Celtic Park that wouldn't be the case in the vast majority of our matches I think if we're going up against a team like Livingston or Kulmarnak, um it's going to be difficult to break down these teams and I think we do we do need to we do need to be more um, flexib- flexible and fluid um, there needs to be less um, it needs to be less predictable and I think if as, if you have more exciting and more attacking and more dangerous players in the final third, I think that comes naturally. But um, we'll, we'll see how it pans out. I, I just I just don't see I, I just don't see why it was so successful in the second half of last season. Why yeah. we would revert back to it because it was exciting and it was thrilling to watch, and teams didn't know how to deal with it. So I want to go back to that.
0: I get the feeling Lennon does as well, and I think that he now has the personnel with. A Yeti coming in that he didn't before. I don't think he trusts Klamala yet to to be a starting player for Celtic. And I think if you were to play Klamala you would be missing out on a, a player who's better than him. So like an El Yunusi or a uh, Forrest or a Christie or someone like that. You could possibly play Edward and El Yunusi up top, but I think now he has a proper strike force there with El Yunusie, Sorry, with Edward and uh, a Yeti and um, obviously the name you haven't really mentioned there is Lee Griffiths as well and mm-hmm. the pressure's very much been taken off with regards to Griffiths now because it's fair to say that Griffiths, for, for all the things that's happened, and I know a lot of it is um, a lot of it has been self-inflicted and a lot of it hasn't been, but uh, you can't say he's been a reliable player for Celtic for the last t- couple of years. He's been the absolute opposite of that and thankfully now, from my point of view, we seem like we have a striker in now that can play the role that Griffiths that we hope Griffiths could, and obviously if Griffiths can get himself up to speed and back into the action, and hopefully the Ajeti signing acts as further motivation for him to do that, then we could really be kicking up top. But just found it interesting that you you didn't you barely mentioned Griffiths yeah. when you were going through our strikers.
1: Yeah. And I, I kind of went into Griffiths on Sunday, but what about you know my final thoughts? I think on Griffiths for a while is. Um, my my view on it now is that if it works out great and if it doesn't then fine, we'll, we'll say goodbye to him it's actually, it used to be something of a concern for me just because I like Griffiths and I think he's a good contributor but right now with the Yeti coming in, you know, Lennon has his focus and if it doesn't work out with Griffiths I think Celtic have tried really hard to, to get it to work out and Griffiths might just be better off somewhere else where he's the main man and he's the, the kind of guy that someone builds the team around and That's not going to be the case at Celtic. Um, So if it works out great, if it doesn't, goodbye Griffiths, I've enjoyed you over the years and wish you well in your future.
0: Yeah, and the final part of the team that we've not touched on, obviously, the defence. And for me personally, if I'm looking at a back three, I'm possibly seeing the re-emergence of Hatim Abd El-Hamed in the back three, or who knows, even possibly Shane Duffy from (laughs) Brighton. So uh, I think that would give a lot more security to... Uh, Christopher Julian, especially who mm. who seems to struggle uh, with well, it's well done like, and all
1: that. I like those Duffy links. I like, I like the idea of again, uh, oh yeah, a big thick centre back. <laughs> um, someone exactly what we need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a big, you know, a th- a thick in the physical sense, not in the mental sense, and just someone who has a bit of experience, has been around the block, and knows all about the games of opposition strikers. I think Duffy would be that man. You know he's not he's not a, he's not the best player that's ever graced the game in Britain but he's he's a handy defender who knows his way about, um, and I think that would be good. He's got experience on the international scene. He's played against yep. many top strikers, so um, I'd be more than happy with that. But seems a little bit ambitious. But he is a Celtic fan. Um, it is a ten or row season, so all bets are off. I think.
0: Yeah, For anyone who who hasn't read the stuff about Shane Duffy and is wondering what the hell we're talking about which folk probably often do when they're listening to this effectively the report from the Daily Mail from Stephen McGowan who is, as you may well know uh, about as trusted a transfer source as you'll get anywhere in the journalism world he reported that Duffy had met Neil Lennon Last week, and that Duffy is keen to sign in a season long loan. However, there's also interest um, from West Ham, West Brom, and Burnley. I believe, three teams who are going to be in the Premier League next season. Uh, Duffy currently playing with Brighton. He featured, I think, 11 or 12 times for them last season in the Premier League. Maybe it was a few more, actually. Um, but he's effectively out of out of favour for this season. They've obviously signed the boy Veltman as well from Ajax, so he's f- uh, fallen further down the pecking order. So it may be one to watch over the next couple of weeks or so. There's certainly some sort of interest to it. It's not just paper talk. Uh, so hopefully that one comes off. I think I've uh, judging from the Response from the majority of Celtic fans on Twitter. Uh, we'd be very pleased if that one came off. Right, moving on. Um, oh, sorry, just before we do that, okay. we've got another question from G- James Patrick asking about the midfield three. Yeah. This kind of ties into the, the whole formation debate. He's saying, good to hear you guys back. The midfield three isn't right, is it?
1: Discuss. I think we're on the Cham Express at this point, aren't we, I think we want to see him play more games. Um, and I'm not saying drop Scott Brown forever, um, but I think we're both on the Cham Express. There's been a lot of chat about this on the Celtic internet over the last few weeks. There's been articles or podcast appearances on Celtic underground from regular listeners, Jico James. Um, he's been doing a lot of Twitter stuff and um, writing stuff. And he's been kind of leading the Scott Brown Cham thing. So if you want to... Get a little bit more insight, or f- kind of help that form your own opinion. Then I would go and look at his stuff. I'm not quite as strongly against Scott Brown as he is, but um, I'm very much on, on the in the chain of thought that Cham should be starting more games, and um, you know he should be slotting into that midfield field three alongside McGregor and Christie for me. Um, so
0: so is is Scott Brown the the worry for you out of those three because I would raise Ryan Christie for me has been just as much of a worry as form. I, I think Ryan Christie um when you take it back to probably the start of the year I don't think Ryan Christie's been the same player that he was in the first half of last season.
1: Yeah but the, the, I I feel like at least we've got that recent history to suggest that he can be a consistent um creative force and a consistent goal scorer for us. When I'm looking and Scott Brown's not that type of player, so it's a it's a it's a harsh comparison, but um I think there's just not a necessity for to have a, a Scott Brown type player in the team when we're playing a team who have ten men behind the ball. It just I just don't see I think I just think in terms of the efficiency of the midfield and, and, and what we're trying to do, especially when we're chasing a game, I just don't see the need for Scott Brown in there. And I think that um I think we'd be better off and you know you say but you know chance play's not guaranteed like if he, you know and Chan's not really ever shown a high degree of consistency for us I would argue over a six month or a, a season long period so I'm not saying Chan's the answer um, necessarily but I do think he has talent and I think he deserves a, a real run as a starter in the team um, yeah. and I think that's what I want to see most of all if he plays poorly or he's not as consistent as we want him to be or his creative output is not what we want it to be or he's just a bit pretty dull with the ball um, then by all means bring Scott Brown in on a regular basis and, and do play Scott Brown in matches I've, I'm, as I say I am not. I don't want Scott Brown at the club I don't want him dropped entirely I just I want to see a little bit more flexibility from Neil Lennon and his team selections on a game to game basis because sometimes I feel like it's just a little bit predictable, and teams know exactly that exactly what to do against Scott Brown. I think, um, and I think that he doesn't really, he doesn't, he doesn't offer us anything in these games where it's like the team's defending against us. That's that's my only feeling on.
0: Yeah, again, just playing devil's advocate, I, I just feel that if we were to play in Cham ahead of Scott Brown for, say, at Tannadice and we dropped more points, I, I think you'd get lots of fans straight away saying we're missing the leadership of Scott Brown, so <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of sympathy for, for Neil Lennon yeah. but you could argue with, with Scott Brown's days at Celtic clearly coming to an end at some stage, be it the end of this season or, or possibly another year that we should be looking at, um, at really getting Callum McGregor into the leadership role and it may do him no harm to actually be the, I don't know if he would be the captain, I think he would be, wouldn't he? He's a vice-captain so it maybe wouldn't do him any harm to actually be the captain for a lot of games and and get ready for that Um, because me personally, I think Callum McGregor is going to be the the next Captain for for sale, taking it. I think he's gonna be a, a stalwart for for years to come. I know there's interest from down south, but there was interest in Scott yeah. Brown in his early days. And I th- I think Callum, Callum McGregor sees the opportunity to to be the next Scott Brown.
1: I think if McGregor was going to leave, I think he might have left already. Um yeah. I think that, that contract that we just signed him up to, a lot of people saw it as one that we would sign him up to and then sell him. But for me, just with the the noises and just the way that that was done for me it seemed like there was interest but that he decided that he wanted to stay and that we rewarded him with this contract and um you know that was his commitment to Celtic for the next few years that that's the way it came across to me
0: yeah no i, I agree I, i've made that prediction and it's now absolutely certain in my mind so Callum McGregor's the next Scott Brown uh, yeah just finishing it obviously in that, that question about the, the midfield three from James Patrick for me if you want my total answer John's saying that Encham isn't the answer I'm saying Encham is the answer I want Scott Brown McGregor sitting and I want Encham in front of them playing the creative role instead of Ryan Christie because I don't think personally Christie's done enough to, to merit a place in the first team so that's my answer and thing so good me and John differ there <laughs> right Let's talk Where do you want to go next Do you want to go transfers Or do you want to go A
1: rogue question On bad pitches in Scotland I'll, I'll take the rogue question We'll finish on transfers Because there's not Actually that much um, On the go but, So we'll go rogue first
0: Great question in From Shagis. He or she Is saying Should the SPFL Be reserving A percentage of Prize or TV money To provide Grass pitches he says this is not sour grapes after the result at Kelly. I've been moaning about this for years. It would completely change our game. 3G on a tiny, unwatered pitch is unwatchable. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of games. I, through my um, job a couple of years ago, I saw a lot of Kilmarnock and uh, probably a, half a, sorry, a dozen games at Rugby Park. And I don't think I ever really saw a good game on, on that pitch. And the same can go for the one at Livingston in Hamilton. Um, I never like to use it as an excuse because yeah. you know what you're getting into when you go there, and not just that. If we go there, Rangers have to go there, every other team in the league has to go there. So um, I, I don't ever use it as an excuse or use it as a you know a, something that's unfair to Celtic. However, I think for the state of our game, I don't think it does any good to have artificial surfaces in the top flight. I think a lot of these clubs often use the argument of, you know the artificial surfaces providing better financial value for them. They can train in the surfaces, they can get youth teams in, um, people paying to to play in the surface and generate revenue that way as opposed to, obviously, grass pitches. You can't play as much on them during the week. But I just think these clubs have to make a decision. Are they community-based things or are they actual top-division football clubs? And I just don't think we should have games on Sky Sports where players like Edward and El Yunusi and top players like that going and playing in artificial surfaces I don't think it does any good I think the actual quality of the game is much poorer because it's much slower and players aren't at the same level just due to the surface and I completely agree I think they've done something like this in the Netherlands that I think they take it out of I think they take out of European qualifiers teams who get right. to either the Champions League or the Europa League group stage percentage of that money or what I think actually is, um, is the, you know when teams qualify for the Champions League group stage, yeah. you wait for hands down money to the rest yes. of the top flight. Yeah. I think that money uh, they've right. decided okay. in the Netherlands goes to um, sorting grass pitches effectively.
1: I, I have no problem with what you're saying and I've got no problem with the question posed. My only issue is that in terms of taking a percentage of money of the, the pool that is available to teams... And that would be a bold and an innovative of step, and I would I would like to see it. But I think the pool is so small that just taking any percentage out of it just automatically reduces the capacity of what these teams can do below us. It's not so much an issue for Celtic or Rangers or perhaps even Hibs or Aberdeen, but I'm speaking about you know your Hamiltons and your Saint Marins. As soon as you start reducing any percentage of their prize money or TV money or whatever and it starts to cause problems in terms of what they want to do and what their ambitions are so yeah. while the argument is sound, how viable it would be to, to actually hold back money and do that is is another story but we've seen before that teams can turn around the way that their pitch is because you'll remember you know, the, the, the pitch at Fir Park, Motherwell's pitch was mm. abysmal for so many years and
0: you know, they, they had the repeat of their 6-0 draw with Hibs on last weekend and I watched it and I couldn't get over the state of the surface <laughs> compared to now, it's night and
1: day. They invested money and, I think more more importantly, time into that and actually have turned around to have one of the best surfaces in the country. So it is doable and I think teams should be looking to do that, but how much will there is and we've seen this year already that these clubs are only... There's short-term thinking in Scottish football, let's say that. And I think that that short, short-termism would prevent a, a measure like that being taken. And I think there's no will or backbone in the SPFL leadership to do that. But I do agree it, it could be a good step if it's done because I, I do think it's a, it, delivers, it offers a poor product and it's noticeably quite embarrassing on the TV um, when you're looking at these all these matches behind closed doors, Where effectively it should be a level playing field In terms of atmosphere and um, Spectacle And you'll turn on the Scottish Premiership And it's that dire pitch at Rugby Park And even the crowd noise garbage in our games Like I've been watching Champions League Games this week and the crowd noise is fantastic Um, The fake crowd noise Actually I was watching the the Leipzig Athletico match Last night and the crowd noise in that, the, the way that they did it was fantastic. They were even doing boos when someone was going down injured and everything. Um, so I would like to see Sky do a bit more with that as well. But, um, yeah, the, the product doesn't look good when those pictures are on screen. And I, I do hope it changes.
0: Right, let's move on. Transfers. We've got a question in or a point from Obi-Wan Shinobi. Nine in a row. Celtic have signed a goalkeeper and a striker for about £10 million in total. Centre back and left back are probably likely to be loans, with no income coming from gates since March. Will the Champions League qualifiers decide whether Celtic sell Edward or keep him, I'm shitting myself. Now. Are you shitting yourself?
1: <laughs> no, I I just don't think we're going to sell Edward this season. I just I just don't think we're going to do it um, unless something crazy happens and uh, and there's there's real you know big boy money on the table, and by that I mean forty million plus. Um, I just don't see an, and you know, if there's forty million on the table, I don't think Celtic are going to turn it down. But if it's twenty, twenty-five million, even thirty, you know, I'm thinking. I know Celtic a bit. I know they're very financially prudent, but just not this year, lads. Like this isn't the season to do that. Do that. You're ha- The fans have backed you doing that for for years, um, to varying degrees. And although there's always a bit of moaning like around the Tierney stuff, I think the vast majority of the supporters recognised that that was probably the right thing to do. Just not this year. We can do without it this year. Do it next year. I know it might knock £10 million off his value. Um, Unless Edward is trying to force a move away, and I don't think he is, unless he is doing that behind the scenes, then just calm it down and just don't take in money. And I actually don't think we're going to, regardless of what happens with the Champions League, I'm actually quite optimistic about this. Um, I think the club recognise what's at stake here. And I think there'll be a, a... a ten month pause on any um controversial transfers, um let's put it that way.
0: I may regret what I'm about to say <laughs> in six weeks' time, but I am absolutely convinced Edward isn't going anywhere. There's absolutely nothing to suggest that he's gonna move from anything I've seen so far. He looks completely happy at the moment. The all the points you've raised about how big a season it is for us, how reliant we are on Odds and Edward, because let's not make any bones about it if, if Edward was to move on our chances of winning the league decrease a good bit in my mind because when you think of what yeah, he brings are. us and the the amount of goals he brings us but the amount of assist, assists he brings us and his general performance his big game moments uh in derby matches stuff like that our chances of winning the league I, I would still have us above 50 percent but I think uh I think it goes down a lot if if Edward leaves the club and i, I yeah, I don't see why the club would want to cash in on on the money. I think it's interesting if a club comes in with forty million and see. To be honest, I know this is the the oldest argument in the book, but if Odson Edwards in my mind, when you see the players, the the amount some players are going for Odson Edwards, is a forty million player at the moment? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a top top player, and we see what's happened with him, who went for. Just under 20 million, and he's now worth you know 60 or even more than that. So Edward's worth at least 40. And if that was to come in and the club were to sell it, uh, even at that price, I think a lot of folk would be unhappy. Just because at the end of the day, we're not, um, I'm not like I'm
1: not Hamish <laughs>
0: well exactly and and the money is irrelevant to us in many ways I mean fair enough the club could go out and replace him with a £10 million player or whatever but he's not going to probably be as good as Edwards. so it's difficult um, to replace him no matter the money you've got come, coming in and you know what Celtic are like there's absolutely no guarantees that we would even replace him we may look at a Yeti being his replacement or or anything but I'm absolutely convinced that Edward isn't going anywhere this summer, I think he's happy, I think the club are happy with him and they realise how important he's going to be for this season and as you say, if we sell him next year after winning 10 in a row, I feel like everyone moves on happy, Edward's still only I think he's maybe 22 or 23 at that stage uh, Celtic have just won 10 in a row, we've got a, a big profit on him um, the other thing worth remembering is that we paid £9 million for him so yeah It's not like a one yama where you've paid a couple of hundred thousand and your profit is effectively whatever you get in. Mm -hmm. The fact that if we sell them for 25 million, we're only making 15 million on Mm -hmm. them, and that doesn't seem particularly great. So I think we've got to factor that in. But I'm sure the the club will have all that sorted as well. Um, I think Edward's going to go. Um, next summer, Uh, obviously depends on his contract situation, how much we get for him, but I really wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if it was um, a record Scottish fee, I think he's the the best player that we've had in a good while, so yes I've hopefully eased your nerves a little bit there, Obi-Wan Shinobi (laughs) Franco boy, great to have you back guys, thanks very much why all, sorry, with all this money Celtic are spending in the window and convince convinced Edward will be sold, maybe even Iron and Cham as well We've obviously touched on mm-hmm. Edward, Iron and Cham, do you want to rule those out John?
1: Uh, I don't want to rule anything, I think if anyone's going to go I feel like it could be Ch- Cham, I, I don't think we're in the position to sell Iron either Even if we bring in Duffy, um, like, uh, just, especially if Lennon does have his eye on this 3-5-2 thing I know we've, we do have El Hamid and we, we do have Beaton but I just don't see Ayer going. So the, the other thing to th- think of as well, I think Ayer's contract runs out in 2022 as well. So um, he would only have a year left next year too. And there's there seems to be more chat around Ayer's agents. He actually changed his agent in April or May, um, but that was a good thing because his last agent seemed like a bit of a beller. He was always in the press kind of slagging Celtic off. Um, or or he, he was at least on one occasion. So, if I to go, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be massively surprised. But I just don't think we can afford to do that one either. And I think the club would be against that at the moment. I think we'll be trying to do you know get him to sign a contract as well, with the view to perhaps selling them next year or the year after. I think Chams perhaps at this stage the most likely to go. If I'm Cham you know, and I'm sitting on the Celtic bench, I'm thinking. You know, I, I quite fancy sitting on a bench in the Premier League or I, I quite fancy sitting on the bench in, in, in Lagoon and not in the Scottish Premiership because if he's not getting a regular game for us anyway, then, you know, that isn't that isn't really a factor in his development. So that's an interesting one. We know that he was kind of you know, grumbling about a move last summer and, and Lennon kind of did well to sort that out. But if any if any of the three are going to go, I think the most likely player to go is, is Chan.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, but... Um... The fact is that we're not going to sell any of them John So you can stop worrying <laughs> about that one as well All three will be with us at the end of the transfer window Right, a couple of games before we next record First up is K.R. Reykjavik Tuesday night, it's been confirmed for Celtic Park How many are we going to
1: score? I, surely it's going to, that's going to be a three or four I mean... what, what a chance for a Yeti eh? At your first yeah, goal. that's that's a good point. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, he has been on holiday away on holiday, so I'm not sure how prepared he is in terms of fitness. But I he said he's
0: been on holiday, but he's had
1: a personal trainer oh, with him. Okay, I mean, I'd be looking to play if it's not Ayeti, I'd be looking to play Clamala in that match because I think it. I I you know I'd love to see us play a two a two striker formation against them. I think that would be a boost for the support. I think it would be. Yeah. I think it would allow us to kind of put a marker down and pick up a good a big result. I would love to see Edward or Klamala or Eduard and a Yeti in that game. I just think that's what we need at the moment as a support more than anything. And whether it'll work out like that is remains to be seen. But surely we'll win by three or four. Now I don't want to be too complacent, but Reykjavik and you know they're not like a difficult team in this qualifying process. We should we should have the confidence to beat a team like that handily. We did play them at Murrayfield a few years ago. Everyone recognises that they're not a great team. I know we not only narrowly beat them away from home, but surely. At Celtic Park, we should be seeing this team off with absolutely zero drama at
0: all. 5-0 for me. Yeah. I think it will be really comfortable. Then we go into the game. Saturday evening, away to Dundee United. I'm aware that it's over a week away from the time we we're recording. Could be a pretty good evening game. Half-five kick-off. Obviously, no fans in the ground. I'm going Celtic to turn up and batter Dundee United. 3-0. 3-0.
1: I think that, you know, United have had a difficult start to the season, but from what I've seen or, or the highlights and just the results and, and what I've read of their performances, they don't seem to have performed too badly in the matches. I, I think they drew against St Johnston, they beat Motherwell, and they, they got narrowly beat by Hibs. So um, mm. they look like a, a decent outfit, if not spectacular, this season. So I don't think just because they're newly promoted, it's going to be an easy game. Um, I, I would be happy with, you know, I just want to win out of that one. I just want the three points. I don't care if it's one now or 3 now, but um, I'll go for a wee 3-1 or something something like that. Um, I think they might score against us just because, you know, it's United at home and I'm from Dundee, so I'll give them a go. Hmm. Your local team. <laughs> Yes, that game live in
0: Sky, as pretty much every Celtic away Premiership game will be this season, and I think I saw somewhere that the Recuvit game's in Premier Sports on Tuesday yeah, it's, night. Yes, it's
1: on the past the Paradise and it's on Premier Sports for those who don't have that. The mere mortals who haven't given
0: their hard-earned savings to the club will have to watch it in Premier Sports, but that's good. Right, I think that's us, John, we've yes. covered a lot today. Yes, all good. Appreciate you coming on and chatting with me, really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast, uh, it is massively appreciated by us both and Paul Fisher, wherever he is and hopefully we'll speak to you in a week or so hopefully like I said after the last podcast, after two Celtic victories let's hope that it actually does happen this time around, right until next time take care and hail heal. Tequila takeoff, catching landing. Sorry about the centerpiece, thanks for understanding. Saw salesman, hard branding, Kapari commissions. I was sitting in the kitchen trying to guess where she was living now. Hotel room in Houston with the shades against the sunshine. Or maybe still in Scranton like it's 1999. What I saw rolling through with the entitlement crew. I wasn't all that into it, but there was nothing I could do about it.